You know, as we are dealing with this book called Titus, there have been so many things that prove one thing over and over and over again. The Word of God is timeless. It blows my mind how relevant the Scripture can be, how relevant a letter that was written to a church in Crete 2,000 years ago can be for what we're going through right here, right now, today in 2020. And as we go through this, today what we're going to be talking about is things that we should be avoiding as a church. The Word of God has great things to say to us about how we can live out our faith. How if we have come to a point in our lives to where we know that the end of ourself is hopeless, if we've come to a point to where with all the stress and all the pressures, whether it's financial or family or, or work or social or homeschooling, like if you've come to a point to where you're like, I just can't. God, I need you to. If you've come to a point where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, these are for you. These are how we can live out our faith in a very practical way. And we're going to start in chapter 3, verse 8. We're going to be walking through verse 11 today. And as we do this, there are just so many things that we are to avoid. Four very specific things. Now it starts off and it says, this saying is trustworthy. This saying is referring back to what was discussed in chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Whenever it came out, it says, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by righteousness. And again, this is a reference back to the Judaizers, that they were saying in order for you to be a Christian, in order for you to be a follower of Jesus Christ, not only did you have to believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins, but you had to follow dietary laws. You had to follow religious practices. They were saying on top of by grace through faith, you had to, in addition to that, have works. And what Paul's clarifying here is that that's not what you need. You need by grace through faith. Christ did the work. This is a trustworthy saving that he saved us. Verse 5, because of the works done by us and not because of the works done by us by righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He says this is a trustworthy saying, that you are saved by grace through faith, that the Holy Spirit has come on you, flows over you, flows through you, and you are to live it out. This is a trustworthy saying. And he continues on, and he says, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. He's saying if you've received Christ, Live out your faith. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies. Avoid genealogies. Avoid dissension. Avoid quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Good works, profitable. Quarrels, foolishness, unprofitable. Worthless. Verse 10. As for the person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. The first thing that we see in our passage today is that we are to avoid laziness. We are to avoid laziness. It's the idea that if Christ has come into your heart and your life, like if you identify with Christ, he should have a significant impact on your life. 
The scripture talks about how we as believers should transform into the likeness of Christ. That we should transform into the same one who, although he existed in equality with God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, giving his life as a ransom for many. What that means is that once Christ comes into our heart and our life, we should start living out Christ, following his example. Instead of being served, we should be servants. Instead of hoping that the church exists for us, we should have something in our hearts and our lives that says, because I've received the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ, I want other people to experience what I have. I will make myself concerned with good works. In fact, not only will I just do that, I will be careful to devote myself to good works. This is excellent. This is profitable. And what we understand through the book of Titus is that sound doctrine, proper understanding of the word of God will manifest itself in good works. When we understand what God tells us to do, our lives will reflect the goodness of Christ. What that means is we will manifest ourselves in serving. Remember, this is written to the church. He's saying the church doesn't exist for you. The church exists to be proclaimers of the good news. And so what we should do as followers of Jesus Christ is we should manifest Christ in such a way that other people can receive Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Whenever I, I think of this happening on a Sunday morning, I think about the people in the shadows. All the time, what I think of first and foremost are the people that are in the nursery area right now, elbows deep in dirty diapers. You know what I'm talking about? The ones who rarely get a thank you for having to change the, the, the baby who has a blowout. The people who rarely get a thank you for making sure things are clean and sanitized. I, I think about the AVL team. How our audio and visual and lights team are in the back. We've got another guy in a room in a closet with a headset on making sure that people can worship online because, you know, maybe they're just a, a level of caution to where they're not ready to be back yet. I think of those who are greeting. The people who show up maybe at 7 o'clock in the morning, make sure that the, the AC is on, that the doors are unlocked, that the signs are out, that the flags are out, that people know where to go. I think about our, our greeters who when somebody comes on, even though they have a mask on their face, they can exude a smile that people can't see. They just know it's there. I think about our teachers and our directors who put countless hours into making church happen on Sunday morning. I think about the people who make phone calls, who make visits, who follow up on those who are hurting and needy. I see these people that go largely unseen as manifesting sound doctrine in their life that they will serve others instead of themselves. That's a picture of the body of Christ. That is a picture of what it means to have sound doctrine because you cannot believe right and your living not manifest itself out in serving God and his church, his bride. So we are to avoid laziness. But the second thing it says very clearly is that we are to avoid foolishness. It says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. 
Now, Paul is taking his fist and punching the Judaizers right in the nose. He's saying, y'all have been so concerned with dietary laws. You have been so concerned with wearing the right clothes and saying the right things and memorizing all these things that you've missed the point of grace. You are so concerned with actions and trying to look right and look the part and feel the part that all you've done is engage in foolishness that doesn't help anybody. When you get so wrapped up in these things, you're just wasting your time. I remember whenever I, I first saw this, I thought, man, how great would our lives have been if we would have started with this verse five months ago? You know, foolish arguments, youth, useless. Foolish arguments, unprofitable. You know what else is completely unprofitable? People stirring up these conversations and arguments based on crazy conspiracy theories. Like if you're out here and you're like, here's the deal. What we're going to talk about in church is how this new world order is trying to take over the world through COVID-19. Come on. We, we can be a little bit better than that, right? All of y'all are like, no, that's what they're doing. Like, that's what I feel. I feel like I'm about to get stoned in here right now. Like, here's what I want to make sure everybody understands. Ha ha. Don't stone me. When we come together for the church, what we need to be promoting is the Word of God. Thank you. When we come to church, we don't need to be talking about, I don't know, vaccinations and how it's definitely going to be the mark of the beast. We don't need to be coming together and talking about how all of this is just a, a thing to, to get Biden elected or Trump reelected or any of those things. Like, we need to focus on what we know for sure. The Word of God is timeless. It is truthful. It is perfect. That is what we proclaim here. We don't have time for these crazy hoaxes and conspiracy theories creating division. If you haven't figured out sharing your opinion and trying to convince someone else they are wrong on Facebook or Twitter or any other social media is a complete waste of your time and everyone else's. Quit engaging in foolish actions. Maybe remember the words of Ephesians 4.29. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such that is good for building others up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. When we're talking about avoiding foolishness, we need to make sure that we focus on the Word of God when we come to church, that we focus on living for God when we come to church, that we focus on stirring one another up for good works. The problem is when we engage in foolishness, all we do is stir people up in dissension. It creates division within the church, which is why in verse 10, he addresses this very clearly. He says, and for the person who stirs up division." There is an explanation of this, which is so powerful, I just want to read it. It says, the adjective divisive is found only here in the New Testament. It essentially characterizes 
what is a self-chosen opinion or viewpoint. Because of the insistence of one's opinions, if they are devoid of true scriptural basis, the dissident stirs up division. They are nothing more than an opinionated propagandist. When we come to church and we share our opinion on something that has nothing to do with Scripture, when we try to shame other people into believing our way and thinking our way about whatever, all we're doing is spreading a propaganda that is contrary or unhelpful to the gospel itself. And Paul is talking about the Judaizers, right? He's talking about how if you come to Christ, you've got to be circumcised. How if you come to Christ, you have to eat certain foods and you can't eat certain foods. He's talking about these people who would not be happy until everyone conformed to their behavior because it's what they thought was right. And Paul's saying, look, here's the deal. It's not. It's not in Scripture. This is not what Jesus professed. It's not what he proclaimed. And every time you get involved in some controversy, all you're doing is hurting the body of Christ. Now, it doesn't have to be a COVID-19 opinion. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to be around a friend of mine from, from high school. And actually, I met Stephanie whenever I was seven years old. We attended Harwood Terrace Baptist Church together. That's where she was. Her family grew up there. I came whenever I was seven. And we were talking about different things. One of the things we were talking about is the church fights that we had. I don't know how we got on it, but that was one of the memorable things of Harwood Terrace Baptist Church. Y'all ever been a part of that church? Whenever you think of it, all you think of is problems. One of the things we were laughing about was this fight that we had about carpet. I've shared it with my connect group. I don't know if I've shared it in worship, but you're going to hear it now. We had this guy who stood up during a business meeting whenever the carpet committee had a report. I want you to understand how jacked up this church was. We had a carpet committee. If that's not telling enough, carpet committee. So, because everybody in the church is an interior designer who knows what's best, right? Anyway, carpet committee. They got up, and they recommended that we have this blue and green and brown, like, multicolored variation carpet. This guy stood up, and he was 6'7", passed away. He's in heaven. Now, I love Randall. He just had a bad moment. He had this moment in front of me, so I'm sharing it. 6'7", 400 pounds, big guy. In the middle of this fight, in the middle of this argument in church, he made a statement that was something like this. The Bible says that you're supposed to have crimson colored carpet, and if it's not crimson, we're not spiritual. If we're not spiritual and biblical, then I'm not going to be a part of the church anymore. Crying. A grown man sobbing over the colored carpet. Let me tell you something else about Randall. He played for the crimson tide. I believe in his Bible, in Alabama football, there's something about how carpet in the church was supposed to be crimson. We voted. Crimson did not win that day. Got the other carpet. Two Sundays go by, he comes back, walks in like a big old teddy bear, you know, he's ashamed of himself. He's, I'm sorry, guys, I shouldn't have acted like that. Will y'all forgive me? We're like, no, didn't happen. We get so caught up on stupid things that every once in a while we need to have a Randall Heaton moment where we can remember what people are going through so we can just kind of come to ourselves and say these things that we fight about are not that important. 
I was a part of a church once that said we can't use projectors because projectors are tools of the devil. And what was funny is even the, the stalwarts, right, the, those people who were committed to the hymnal said there was something way different when you went from singing like this to singing like this, that it opened you up maybe to experience worship in different ways. Here's what I know. Because this church has humans in it who have a flawed character, who are not perfect, since your pastor is not completely perfect, nobody asked you, <laughs> because your staff is not completely perfect, there will be decisions made that you look at and you're like, man, I don't understand, because y'all are dumb. I'm kidding. <laughs> You'll have times to where you're like, I wouldn't have done it that way. And you're faced with an option, like, are you going to complain, or are you going to deal with it in, in, in a healthy, maybe go ask a question, say, what was the motivation behind that? Are you going to give... The leadership, maybe your connect group leader, the benefit of the doubt, or are you going to beat down their decisions with other people? Here's what I find to be the most helpful thing we can do when we don't agree or understand everything in the church. Turn every complaint that you have into a prayer request. Instead of complaining, start praying about it. If, if you have a, a concern, I don't know why we don't have hand sanitizer at every pew. I, I don't know. What, I, I, I don't know. Why don't we have an individual hand sanitizer at every little place where we go? Maybe that's your concern. Maybe instead of verbalizing to everyone you know how dumb the church is, what if, what if you had a legitimate concern about the budget or the relocation or whatever? And you're just like, you know what? I see this. And instead of me verbalizing my displeasure, I'm just going to start praying about it. And then you could do something which I promise will be met with openness and receptivity. You could call the person that might be responsible for your concern and say, hey, have you thought about this? Help me understand that. Instead of being negative, what if you did something constructive? I thought about, like, what can we do to, to create a, a church that is void of division? Like, how can we avoid being the person that's filled with dissension in the church? I think if we would just kind of stop talking sometimes and, and maybe think, what, what if we started asking questions? Like before we called people in our connect group or before we called our friends and complained about something and trashed whoever in the church, what if we took a second and we said, you know what, would me sharing this help or hurt the cause of Christ, M maybe we could avoid division within the church. What if, what if we thought, you know what, before I had this social media post, trashing my church, or trashing the leadership, or trashing the body of Christ, what if we stopped and asked a question? Will this point people towards Jesus, or will it point people away from Jesus? I think what we'll find is that for the cause of Christ, we become a lot more effective. If we could kind of ask the question, does this make our Savior? Does this make our faith? Does this make our church? Does this make our Heavenly Father look good or bad? Maybe we could avoid division and dissension, and maybe instead of being a problem in the church, maybe we could be part of the solution. Like, there is a reason that the early church was instructed to not have their quarrels 
and their fights go outside of the church. There is a clear reason why the church was instructed, if you have a problem, you settle it inside of the church. Because if we take every problem we have with the church, if we take the problems that we have with believers into the public, and we don't deal with them in a godly way, all we're doing is exposing unbelievers, people who are separated from Jesus Christ, people who have a trajectory to spend eternity in hell, all we're doing is diverting them from Christ back to hell. And we need to think in terms of, am I going to have an attitude, a, a mindset that focuses on the things of Christ? If I have a problem with somebody in the church, instead of me calling all my people, instead of me putting them on blast on social media, instead of me whining and complaining, instead of me looking like a victim, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to that person, not because I want to, not because it's fun, I'm going to do it for the sake of Christ. Because I want to be part of the solution for a lost and dying world to be pointed towards Christ. I don't want to be part of the problem for people to look at the church and say, they're nothing more and nothing less than some bunch of hypocritical jerks. We have to think beyond ourselves. We have to think before we share every little opinion. We've got to think what is best for Christ. What is best for the cause of Christ? What is best for the church? There is a reason Jesus himself addressed this in Matthew 18, which we'll get to in a second, but what Paul kind of wraps this thought up with is that we have to avoid avoiding different difficult dif situations. We have to quit avoiding hard conversations. We've got to deal with problems. Listen to the passage first. And as for person who stirs up division, after warning him once, it's a given, right? If there's a person being a problem in the church, you warn him once. After warning him once, and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. This is a, a picture of a person in the church who will not quit causing problems. It's saying that you grab the person by the shirt and the pants, you rear back, and you throw them out. That's the picture. Like if they're not going to quit causing problems, pick them up. And throw them out. And the picture of this, every time in Scripture, the reason that we release people into their sin is that they can see that sin has an end and that they will come back into repentance. This is consistent in the New Testament. If somebody's sinning, you let them go into the fullness of their sin, they will find out that sin does not have any answers, that all it does is make their life worse, they will repent and come back to the church. Have nothing more to do, do with them. It's not one, two, three strikes, you're out. It's one, two, you're out. Then it says, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Now, Paul doesn't play any games with this. He didn't play with it through all of his letters in the New Testament. And in Titus, he is very, very clear. Titus chapter 1, 13 and 14. He lays out a picture that if people are causing problems, that you are to address them immediately. 
He says these people must be silenced, right? He says if they are disrupting households, if they're teaching false doctrines, if they're looking to profit off dishonesty, if they're disruptive to the body of Christ, you silence them. He's saying we must address the people in the church who refuse to abandon sin. We must address the people in the church who are causing division. We must address the people in the church who are causing dissension because the cause of Christ is worth a difficult conversation. Because the cause of Christ is so important that if we don't, people will be turned away from their faith. Matthew chapter 18, 15 through 20 talks about this. It's not just talking about the greater picture of the church. It's talking about how individually, if you have a problem with someone, there is a biblical way to handle it, and everything else is sin. This is what the scripture says. Matthew 18, 15 says, if your brother sins against you, right? If there is a brother or sister, if you have a sibling in Christ, if a fellow Christian does something to you that hurts your feelings, that creates division, creates separation, between you and them, if, if they hurt you, or they harm you, or if they offend you, right? All these things, and all of you can probably think of someone who's done this to you right now. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, you got a problem with somebody, you go to that person. This is a command in Scripture. It's not an option. This is a command. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If you go and address a problem with somebody and you work it out, y'all can have that fellowship again, right? You're back to a place that's healthy for you and them. You're healthy for the cause of Christ. But if he does not listen, take one or two brothers along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So if you can't work it out with just the two of you, bring other people, let them speak into the issue got an issue with you we need to come together and work it out because the cause of Christ is worth it that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses if he refuses to listen to them tell it to the church if you can't work out your problems with two or three witnesses you bring it before the church and you got to deal with it right deal with these issues and if he refuses to listen even to the church let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Tax collectors had the worst reputation of anyone among the Jews. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or three agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. We love to use this verse in prayer meetings. Two or three are gathered. God is there with us. That is not the context of this passage. The context of this passage is if you have dissension and two or three of you come together for the cause of Christ to resolve that issue, God is going to be present with you. Also in that, if you do not handle things biblically, if you have a problem with someone and you don't do it scripturally, everything you do in that problem, every conversation you have, God is not a part of. That's the principle here. You either do things God's way and you are in line with the scripture. You do things your own way and you are separated, void of the scripture, void of God himself in this argument. So we must deal with things individually. We must come together with one or two other people. We bring it to a church. And what this does is it allows the cause of Christ to thrive 
in a place, in a situation where when people look at the church, ultimately they say, you know what, these people, they're flawed, they have their issues, but somehow they've got it figured out. The church becomes attractional, not because we have smoke and mirrors, not because we have the best events. Our church becomes attractional because people see that real people with real issues who may not always view things the same way have figured out how to live their life in harmony. The key is, when the church figures out how to live for God and not themselves, the world will take note and want that which is different about us.